Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. My microphone is still broken, but that's okay because today is an exciting episode. This is the first ever episode of my podcast that's going to be rated explicit. That is because we are talking about the People's Republic of Zanzibar and Pemba, and the Zanzibar Revolution that went along with it was exceptionally brutal. If you break out your maps and head over to East Africa, you'll see a country that's sort of in the shape of a mitten. That is Tanzania. And hugging the coast of Tanzania, you'll see two islands. The largest of the two is Zanzibar, and the second largest, or the smallest, is Pemba. That's where our story today takes place. In the 1960s, Zanzibar was a sultanate under the reign of Arab sultans. But the Sultanate of Zanzibar had been a protectorate of the British Empire since 1890. Basically what this meant is that the sultans controlled the actual government of the country, but the British had exclusive rights to international commerce, and as a result, would protect Zanzibar from any foreign invasions. Now, it's important to know for our story that even though the sultan and the royal family were Arabs, more than 75% of the country's population were black Africans. Despite this fact, it was the Arab minority that owned most of the land and therefore wealth. Since the Arabs were the ruling class, the British considered Zanzibar an Arab country and worked to ensure Arab supremacy was maintained. By the 1960s, however, the age of imperialism was coming quickly to an end, and the British were preparing to leave Zanzibar to its own devices. With the British leaving, black Africans in Zanzibar saw an opportunity to change their status in the country, and they organized into the Afro-Shirazi Party, or as I'm going to be calling it from here on out, the ASP. The Arab counter to this was the formation of the Zanzibar Nationalist Party, or the ZNP. Zanzibar may have been a sultanate, therefore a monarchy, but it was a constitutional monarchy, which is how these political parties were allowed to exist in the first place. And being a constitutional monarchy, they held a series of parliamentary elections in January of 1961. This election cycle saw the African ASP win 11 out of the 22 parliamentary seats, and the ZNP got the other 11. However, a majority was required, so another round of elections were held, with an added 23rd seat now available, which would ensure that a majority would arise. In this new election cycle, the ZNP formed a coalition with the Zanzibar and Pemba People's Party, or as I like to call it, the ZPPP. The ZPPP was a more moderate African party than the ASP, meaning they got along a lot better with the Arab-dominated ZNP. The results of this new election cycle were that 13 seats went to the ZNP's coalition and only 10 to the ASP. Naturally, the ASP claimed that electoral fraud had occurred, and fighting broke out in the capital, which eventually culminated in almost 70 deaths. 
The ZNP's new government thus banned all radical political parties, which included the ASP, and they filled as many government positions as they could with ZNP members, and this included the police. Since Zanzibar didn't have its own army, as it was still a British protectorate at this time, this meant that the ZNP controlled the only armed force in the entire country. And this combination of rule by fear and rule by force worked pretty well for a couple of years. That is, until the 1963 elections two years later. During this election, ZNP gerrymandering led to the ASP receiving more than half of the popular vote, but only 13 of the now 31 parliamentary seats. This is an issue that I know some of my American listeners can sympathize with. The ZNP prepared for backlash by firing all African police officers, which was most of the police officers, and while this had a temporary benefit of disarming any black Africans that thought they could overthrow the government, all it had done in reality was create an army of trained individuals that had a familiarity with government processes and buildings. And I'm sure you can see that this will come back to bite them in the end. The Arabs' racism did not end there, of course. The ZNP government began claiming that the intellectual capabilities of black people were simply inferior to their own, and as a result they began slashing funding to schools in black areas by an astonishing degree. All of this was allowed to fly because Zanzibar was still under protectorate status of the British Empire, so any black revolutions would have been thoroughly crushed by Britain's military. That is, until December 10th of that year, when the United Kingdom officially ended their protectorate status over Zanzibar and left the archipelago to their own devices. The Sultan's government asked the British government to leave behind a small military force in order to keep the peace, but the UK knew that the optics of leaving an armed division in what was essentially a former colony would have looked very bad for them, so they refused. The British could also see the writing on the wall, and were all too aware that there was a high likelihood of an armed uprising in Zanzibar. And this was the Cold War, after all, so rebellions and revolutions against monarchies like the Sultanate of Zanzibar typically had communist tendencies, and the UK did not want to ignite a larger international incident by being directly involved in a conflict against communist forces in a former colony. And at 3 a.m. on January 12, 1964, just barely a month after the British had left, the British were proven absolutely correct when 700 barely armed Africans, under the command of a Ugandan ASP member named John Okello, attacked police stations on Zanzibar, confiscating weapons and whole government buildings as they went. Now I will say this wasn't a communist uprising, so the British did get that part wrong, but they were probably right to fear it in any case. Anyway, as I'm sure you can tell by the fact that they immediately attacked police stations and government buildings, those previously dismissed African policemen were playing a large role in this revolution. 
the attacks on the police stations didn't go super well initially, as it's pretty easy for armed police to gun down unarmed insurgents, but they were eventually overwhelmed by sheer numbers alone. Okello's men were now in control of the largest armories in the country and had access to military-grade firearms, which meant their revolution was only going to pick up from here. At 7 a.m., John Okello used a captured radio station to send out a broadcast to the whole country, calling for Africans to rise up and overthrow their imperial overlords. Within two hours of this broadcast, the revolutionaries had control of most of the government buildings in the capital. By two in the afternoon, the revolutionaries had captured the only airport on Zanzibar, which was the number one way in and out of the country. By now, the remaining Arab police forces were attempting to fight back, but they quickly ran out of ammunition and were forced to abandon the island by boat. The capital was thus functionally in control of the revolutionaries, so Arabs and other minorities were targeted for looting. Seeing that the island was lost, the royal family and the royal cabinet fled the island by boat as well. And remember when I said this would be the first explicit episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast? Well, this is the part where this episode achieves that honor, so don't say I didn't warn you. Seeing that the royal family had now fled the country, and the day was therefore won, Okello used the radio station to call on Africans in the country to kill as many Arabs as possible in as brutal a fashion as they could think of, so as to crush their spirit and therefore any rebellion. Arabs were thus systematically hunted down. The men were castrated, their genitalia stuffed into their mouths before they were killed, and the women and children were gang-raped before being killed themselves. All of this was witnessed by American and British diplomats on the island, who only made it out unscathed because Okello had specifically ordered that no white people were to be harmed, as this would draw the ire of the West. One American diplomat, Don Pedersen, described it as, quote, genocide, pure and simple, unquote. Now that control over the capital was absolute, the ASP established a new state, the People's Republic of Zanzibar and Pemba. A revolutionary council was put in place until a more permanent government could be formed, and their first acts included the banishment of the royal family and the illegalization of all Arab and Arab-sympathetic parties. Basically, this just meant the ZNP and the ZPPP. The president of the revolutionary council, and therefore of Zanzibar, was a man named Abayd Karume and he quickly began distancing himself and the ASP as a whole from John Okello, who he saw as too unpredictable to be given real governmental powers. Okello was allowed to keep some military honorifics, including his status as a field marshal, which was a promotion that he had given himself. During the first two days of the People's Republic's existence, fighting spread out into the countryside, where once again Arabs were overwhelmed and subject to the same fates as their urban counterparts. By February of 1964, the fighting with the Arabs was completely over, and life began to seem more normal in Zanzibar. 
This even included an extremely rare instance of weapons confiscations occurring voluntarily and peacefully, with the civilians that had participated in the revolution turning in their arms to the newly reformed police force. Unfortunately, Okello still remained at the command of a handful of radicals who continued their violent oppression of any remaining Arabs on Zanzibar. By mid-March, Karume's government could not tolerate Okello's actions any longer, for fear that he would destabilize their fledgling republic. John Okello was thus stripped of his military honors and deported back to Uganda. His band of armed insurgents were disarmed by the ASP's own militia, but there was no popular backlash to this, since Okello had become much less popular since the revolution ended. He was a radical, and most people in Zanzibar were largely moderate on the Arab issue. He was also an outspoken Christian, and the overwhelming majority of people in Zanzibar were Muslim. And third, he had a thick Ugandan accent, which was extremely noticeable to the Zanzibari people. Thus, Karume was now at the head of a peaceful, black Zanzibari republic, which is exactly what he had wanted. He celebrated by forming the People's Liberation Army, which was the first local military force that Zanzibar had had since the earliest days of the British Protectorate back in 1890. It was now mid to late April, and Zanzibar had been going strong for over three months. But on April 26th, 1964, Karume had a surprise announcement for his country. On that day, he announced that he had formed an agreement with the neighboring country of Tanganyika that would see the two countries unite into what would become known as Tanzania. This was because one party in Zanzibar, the Uma Party, was a radical left party, and they had begun receiving shipments of weapons from the Chinese, and thus created their own paramilitary wing. And typically, if you want to maintain civil stability in your country, you make sure that your political parties don't have their own armies. Karume thus feared an upcoming communist revolution in his country, and merging with Tanganyika would prevent this because Tanganyika was a third world country in the most literal sense. And in case you didn't know, the term third world country has its roots in the Cold War. The term first world country meant countries that were aligned with the United States and capitalism, Second world countries, which is a term you don't hear very often, but it was a real term. Second world countries were countries aligned with the USSR and communism. And as a result, third world countries were those countries that were not aligned with either. And that's exactly what Karume wanted out of this agreement. So, on April 27th, 1964, the merger was put into effect and the People's Republic of Zanzibar and Pemba merged with the neighboring Republic of Tanganyika to form the modern United Republic of Tanzania. Karume remained president of Zanzibar, and the Revolutionary Council remained in power, but they now functioned more like a state government than a national one. And I think this might be the first example we have of a forgotten land that we've covered going out on their own terms. So congratulations to Zanzibar for that victory.
So, why was the People's Republic of Zanzibar and Pemba forgotten? I think there's two major reasons for it this time. For one, Africa was a hotbed of revolutionary violence throughout the Cold War period. After all, there's a reason that third world country has become distorted from its original meaning to basically just mean African country today. By the way, if you want more revolutionary violence in Africa, head on over to my Patreon at patreon.com slash historyofforgottenlands and listen to the episodes about Angola and Algeria. I promise there's plenty of violence in those, and the episode about Algeria is probably even more explicit than this one. So I hope to see you over there. And the second reason that I think the People's Republic of Zanzibar and Pemba has been forgotten is that they went through a ridiculously quick transition from a horribly violent revolution to a peaceful merger with a neighboring power. After all, it had taken barely three months to go from castrating Arab men in the streets to them shaking hands with their neighbors and coming together to ensure peace in their realm. History is usually a very slow burn, so when things happen really fast like this, I think it's pretty easy to get lost in the fray. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. I hope to see you all again next week, and hopefully by then I'll have actually fixed my microphone.